another episode of primal athletics radio thanks for um, listening for the past couple episodes we've been trying some new things um, getting the video up here running getting some guests on we have some more um, guests like the last episode with our buddy levi those will be coming out shortly um, so getting some more people's input um, and sharing ideas with you guys so today zach and i are going to go over uh, three of our i guess most useful books that we've read that we continue going back to that have made a big impact, a positive impact in our lives. And we'll kind of do some key takeaways from each book and then they can be used as maybe some reading suggestions for you guys while you're at home. Yeah, definitely. Like Tyler said, when when choosing these books, I tried to think of ones that uh, while I was reading them kind of had the biggest like aha moment or the biggest impact in my life. And uh, these are the three I chose today are definitely ones that I've come back to through the years and keep referencing or uh, just keep keep using in my daily life to, to better myself as well. Yeah, I think um, for me, like what qualifies a worthwhile read is something that like I'll read multiple times or that I'll go back and like, even though I've, you know, read cover to cover a couple times, I'll still like go back and look at my notes or my highlights and um because there's a lot of useful stuff to draw from it. And I know there's plenty of books out there that are of that caliber, but these are just, these happen to be three of the books that over my lifetime I've continuously come back to. Yeah. Yeah. These are definitely, these got some wear and tear on them. A lot of dog-eared pages there. These are, yeah. days. These are definitely been put to use. I'm going to go chronologically. So we'll go um, kind of back and forth. I'll do one. Zach will do one. Um, but I'm going to go kind of from the first one I read to the latest one I read. So okay. this book I actually bought in high school. Um, it's a psychology book. And I guess the cover, like in a weird way, just kind of grabbed me just because it's, it's a bright book. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, that looks like a cool read. So I got into it. And then I realized the content of it was actually like super um I guess like enlightening would be a good word for it. So the book is called Flow by a psychologist named Mihaly Sitchimihaly, and it's on the psychology of optimal experience. Um, so basically what he does throughout the book is outlines this state of being in this like headspace that we can get into called flow space. And what flow is defined as and doing what you're doing that you lose sense of time and it's like this complete immersion into um, the present so like for us athletes maybe it's like when you have that perfect workout or it doesn't even have to be the perfect workout just like when you're in the zone and you're not thinking about anything else except what you're doing at the moment and um, it, it kind of goes through like how we can best bolster that in different areas of our lives so trying to find flow states across multiple medium and his claim in this book, um, kind of the way he wraps it up is that 
the more time that you spend in flow across your lifetime, the happier and the better quality of life you'll have. And that was kind of a profound thought for me when I was younger, when I read this book, because um, it, it didn't make happiness something that was unattainable. It, it didn't accredit it to like your financial uh, status. It didn't accredit it to your external circumstance. It, it, it said happiness is flowing from, for uh, not trying to use a pun there, but happiness is welling from how, how your experience is day to day. And um, I started thinking about like, how can I just be more engaged in what I'm doing? And a lot of stuff in this book made me uh, practice that like mindful, um, mindful practice, I guess, to practice the mindful practice <laughs> in whatever I was doing, especially in the sport of, in the arena of sport. So like being an athlete, I tried to just like be present at practice, be present at film sessions when I'm in the weight room. And then I think that really developed like a lot of my, um, a lot of the way I, I try to approach most things when I'm learning them or doing them is to try to get into that flow state. And I think it's a good read if you're interested in it. So I'll give you one more shot at that. Was this, you said you read it in high school, right? Yep. Was this something you appreciated right away or was it something that took you like a little later in life to kind of go back to and appreciate? I think it had like a pretty um, initial effect, but it didn't last that long because I don't know, you know, the high school brain is like, yeah. forget about it after a couple of weeks. And I actually went back and reread it this time with like, like throughout the whole thing, I got all my, you know, highlight notes. So the second time I read it is when I, I was a little older and I actually realized the importance of the information in there. And that's when I think I started grasping the fact that like the, the level of happiness in your life is directly relatable to the quality of your daily experience. That was like my big takeaway. Um, so yeah, it wasn't really a first time read. I don't think I was in, you know, quite the space to digest it when I was young but it definitely sparked my interest. So when I went back to it, I was able to like really dive deep into it and practice it. Uh, what are some of the, maybe a few different things you find yourself in flow state, like a few different exercises or, or activities where you find yourself in that flow? Um, I'll go back to these two because they're my bread and butter, but music has always been a big one for me. Like that's almost instantaneous now when I like sit down with a guitar the second I like put my fingers to the frets, um, it's like I'm, I, I can go there and I'm not thinking about anything else. Um, and that's like, that's part of just, you know, practice that you, you can develop that. And then through exercise, I think that's my other big one is, um, especially with CrossFit, when you put a clock to it, um, or you're in, you know, a strength session, just focusing on being present in whatever movement you're doing, whatever workout you're in. Mm. Those are like my two big um, mediators. And I think that's why I spend so much time doing both of those things because that's when I feel most um, optimized. Awesome. So flow is the name of that one. Flow. Yeah. Mahaley. Mahaley. He's got a, he's got a funky name, but can you see that? Mahaley. How do you pronounce the last name? Sitch Mahaley, I believe. Huh. I wouldn't spell it for you. You can just look up flow. <laughs> Flow's a lot easier to remember. Yeah. Awesome. That sounds really good. 
Um, my first one, not chronological by any means, but definitely this is one I read a while ago too, is a pretty popular one, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, this is this one's been around for a while. I believe this was written originally in the late 80s, maybe early 90s, if I can find it. Uh, anyways, this is a, um, a really popular one in the business world. If you've taken any business 101 class, uh, you've probably been asked to read this or you've at least heard of it. I know it's very popular in the real estate world as well. It's actually how uh, my girlfriend is a real estate agent. She got recommended this book. She read it. She gave it to me for Christmas and I read it. Um, this one has some miles on it. I've, I've gone through this probably. I probably read this two or three times. I've listened to it on audiobook once. Uh, and when we talk about actually to take something from the book, a paradigm shifting moment, uh, reading this book was definitely a, uh, an aha moment and kind of opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, this book has been around for, or actually it's reading now, 25th anniversary edition, so probably close to 30 years now. Um, and there's a reason why it's been around for so long. It's just the, the lessons in here are so valuable to everyday life. And even though it is really popular in the business world, regardless of if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, or what you do for a living, just in life in general, this can be a great one here. So the seven habits, I'm not going to try to give a synopsis on this because a, a short synopsis doesn't give this book uh, enough justice at all. But it's all about uh, from time management to how to set a goal to realizing your principles in life to finding your circle of influence and how to focus on things that are important and maybe uh, identify things that aren't that important to you or things you think that are important that are taking up a lot of time that really aren't driving you to your core principles or your goals in life. Uh, so this book is just a, it's a really a, just a treasure trove of information here. Uh, and there's so much stuff in here beyond those, just those seven habits uh, in the 400 some odd pages. You can really learn a lot about yourself and how to set goals in life and how to uh, work towards those as well. Uh, this was something I read and definitely had a very profound effect on me right away. Uh, but then I had to go back through a few different times like you did as well and try to highlight things, uh, focus on a few things at a time and, and work on building those. But this is my number one. Anyone who comes to me and says, like, can you recommend a book for self-help? Like, this is the one right here um, beyond anything else. This is this is part of the one. If you if you took a bunch of authors of self-help books uh, throughout the last 20 years and asked them what their number one or top three books were, I guarantee Stephen Covey and uh, this book are in there. They're top three to five and pretty much anything else you read is based off of the seven habits of highly effective people in some way or another. So it's just a, just a fantastic book and me trying to give a quick synopsis of it will not do it justice at all. So definitely check it out. Uh, and it, it's, it's so much more again than just business development. It's, a, it's about mostly time management more than anything and how to use your time in your life effectively and, and try to identify things in life that mean something to you and then how to plan an attack to a, Plan it, plan it, uh, attack to get them. What year did that book come out? You know, uh, early mid to late eighties, I believe. Um, let's see if I can find a. This is the twenty fifth anniversary edition, and I got this maybe five or six years ago. Let's see if it says it in here. And this thing has been reiterated so many times. There's, they've added to it with the eighth habit. I think Covey's written like six or seven different versions of this book. Uh, but the main one is really the one to go to if you're looking for somewhere to start. 1989, it was written. Nice. Yeah, was, the reason I asked is like I still see that on the top of list. Like if I look at, um, you know, like best self-help books or if I go to um, somebody's Instagram that does like, you know, book reviews, that's always one that pops up. Yeah. 
and it's crazy. That's it's been a bestseller you know, for thirty some odd years now. And thirty years old. And it's, it. it's it's complete. Yeah. Um, do you know how Stephen Covey is it? Stephen Covey, yeah. Did he ever explain how he came up with the habits? Like, was it analysis of all these very successful people? And he kind of like, you know. It was a combination of that and successes and failures in his own life. Gotcha. And his book is full of a bunch of personal stories as well. Uh, every habit, uh, he kind of breaks down different subcategories of the habit. And then he gets really personal with his own life and gives examples of himself working through each one of these habits as well. So a lot of it is personal experience. And he does reference the other successful people as well and, and the stuff that they do in their daily lives. Yeah, that seems like um, the template that most you know self-help books have followed since. Yeah. It's like that, you know, connect to your personal experience and then like, you know, on the other end of it, connect it to these like macro ideas that mm-hmm. can kind of, you know, be, a, be across people's lives that everybody encounters. I've read a few other books similar to this after reading this one. And a lot of the times it really is just in their own words, kind of parroting what Covey said in this book. Uh, so I've kind of stopped reading a lot of self-help books since reading this one. Cause I feel like this is the, uh, this is the Bible of all self-help books right here. So uh, referencing this is always, it's always a good place to start. If you don't know where to start when it comes to a, a self-help or, or self-betterment book. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I'll move on to book number two. And I wouldn't call this a self-help book, but I guess it could be read as one, um, given that there's so much applicable knowledge, or more so the word would be wisdom in this book. Um, Super old text. Uh, Let me get the date here. It was like 150 AD, somewhere in there. Um, So the book is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. I think that's him. He looks really sad in that picture. Um, so Marcus Aurelius was uh, one of the last good emperors of Rome. He was also the first philosopher. Uh, I almost said it. <laughs> he was one of the first philosopher kings. Um, So beforehand, there had been like a lot of military leaders, which he was involved in the military, but um, it was like their primary thing was military and business. And he was one of the first um, great minds, I think, to take up uh, the Roman kingship. So Meditations is basically his memoirs, and it was written as a personal journal and not found or published until way after his death. So he didn't write this as like... um, He didn't write it thinking people would ever read it. And I think because of that, it's so raw and has so much like, like weight to it and levity that that's what makes it special. Um, And this guy's life was just like, so beyond what we could grasp, what, what he experienced as, you know, the emperor of Rome. Um, But if anybody has learned about philosophy, you've heard of stoicism, I'm sure. And, Um, even just the word like stoic is still used regularly to describe somebody who's kind of like indifferent, somebody who's very grounded and, um, you know, like the cover even seems like that's a stoic look, right? (laughs) No emotion, just made a marble. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that, that Marcus Aurelius speaks about is this, um, separation from your circumstances and 
it's so applicable right now too that like some of the stoic doctrine is about controlling only what you can control keeping your field of vision um you know condensed on things that are right in front of you not getting too far outside your means there's a lot of like directly applicable stuff in that book um and it's so easily digestible because a lot of it is just written as like a journal entry like a lot of the um the meditations are written as like you know a couple lines or a paragraph so it's it's not like a narrative that you have to read from front to back you can literally jump to any page and just read a little passage and it could be something that could you know spark an idea um but i've read this when i was in college probably sophomore year of college and um a philosophy minor so that's kind of how i found out about this book it was I think had the most impact on me out of any of the philosophy books I read because the things in it I could actually use and they weren't so far. Um, they weren't like very heady topics. A lot of philosophy can get, um, you know, real heady and it does, it doesn't necessarily always like boil down to something you can use in your day to day life though. The stoic philosophy specifically in this book, um, there are all things I could use, like control what you can control. Um, a lot of it is not taking yourself too seriously, taking life too seriously, like understanding that, um, you know, this is impermanent and that in a hundred years, it's kind of morbid, but in a hundred years, nobody's going to remember your name. So don't take it so seriously. And this guy's the emperor of Rome and he's saying this. So, um, there's just a lot of good golden nuggets that could come out of that book. And uh, I've read it a handful of times going back through it actually right now for like my, I think my fourth read um, just to brush up on some of that doctrine that's in there. Um, yeah. So that's one meditations. I remember reading passages of that back in English class, but I don't know if I've actually read it from, from front to back before. I think a big part of what keeps people coming back to it is um, how he like explains moral virtue mm-hmm. and how we can develop moral virtue in our lives. Like it's, it's more so like a look into the, the way to be, a, have a good life, I guess, um, through the stoic philosophy. So if you're interested in that stuff, that'd be a good read for you. Yeah. I might check that one out after you can trade some books. Awesome. Uh, my next one is uh, along the lines of kind of a self-help again. And this one's probably had a, next to the seven habits, probably the biggest effect on me personally and in a, uh, a ripple effect on some of our members and clients as well. And this is uh, the power of habit. It's by Charles Duhigg, uh, bright yellow cover here, pretty popular one in the world of habit development and kind of similar to the seven habits of highly effective people. Some of the other books I've read on habits as well, kind of pair it or, uh, carry along the same philosophies that are in the power of habit here. Uh, this is a great book. I've always been interested in, in, in habits and just human interaction in general and just how humans go about their day-to-day life. So this one was really interesting because it talks about uh, why we do the things we do and why the brain is, uh, not, not necessarily addicted, but pulled towards habits so much. It describes habits as the brain's way of kind of saving energy. Uh, it makes things easy to do on a almost like an autopilot kind of basis. And it breaks down habits into kind of three different things, which is like the cue, the routine, and the reward. Uh, so the cue being like what triggers us to do that habit. 
the routine is the behavior that you automatically engage in uh, to receive the reward. And that reward is what satisfies you after you follow the routine. And it breaks down different examples of habits from good habits to bad habits uh, and kind of talks about how we can shift habits into a, or shift these, these different cues and triggers into our, our well-being and how we can use them for our betterment uh, as opposed to using them for bad, something like, say, like smoking cigarettes or something like that, which is a really hard habit to break. Um, it, it breaks down kind of what triggers us into habits from location to time to people in general to actions to emotional states and walks us through how to uh, use those to our advantage. It teaches you how to like write them down, like where you are when something happens, when you get triggered about something to do a habit. Uh, where you are, like the time it was, who was around you, what happened, uh, and how can we use that to your better uh, and, and not fall into a, a bad habit kind of routine there. Uh, this is something that had a big effect on my life, uh, and it's something that now I teach to people as well. Uh, a lot of people listening to this might have worked with me in the past or are currently work with me on our nutritional habit course, uh, which is more more than just nutrition, but kind of a lifestyle habit course. And a lot of the stuff I use in that course, I learned from this book, kind of using small little habits, the sequential habits that build off each other. And a, and a big thing that comes out of this book too is not going from zero to 100 all at once, not going from I've never ran in my life to I'm going to run a marathon next week. Uh, how can we slowly start building some positive habits to get you towards that end goal, uh, whatever it may be. It's what we use in our nutritional habit course as well. Uh, it's breaking things, looking at the end goal, breaking things down into small sequential habits that will build off of each other uh, one by one and, and trying to set yourself up for long-term success and not going from zero to 100, uh, where we can easily fall off the cliff and, and fail with what we're trying to accomplish there. So Power of Habit, great, great book here for understanding why our brain wants us to do some of the things it wants to do, uh, how we can either uh, we can break that kind of hamster wheel there or use habits to, for, to better ourselves. So really, really good book here on, on uh, just brain chemistry in general and, and habit forming on a daily basis. Very cool. I feel like that's super important knowledge to have in our line of work, if you're going to work with people in the fitness field and the nutrition field, having like some baseline understanding of, you know, that neural chemistry and, um, you know, habit forming and why it works and why it doesn't. And some people is essential to be an effective coach. Yeah. And just from a, just a personal standpoint as well, the habits we have, whether good or bad, have such a pull on our lives. We sometimes we don't even realize we're in a bad habit kind of routine or rut. And we're just kind of spinning our circles in the mud or spinning our tires in the mud there. And I uh, don't even realize we're doing it, but we have some type of paradigm shifting moment that, that kind of wakes us up to that. So this is a good way of identifying those bad and good habits and how we can use them uh, to our, to our advantage. Uh, one story I do have on how, how powerful habits and routines can be going back to the book. He talks a lot about, again, the, uh, the, the habit loop, which is a three-step loop, the cue, the routine, and the reward, and how a lot of the book is just based on changing that routine, that middle piece there, can really change your whole habit in general. And um, a story I have in regards to that is I used to work in the behavioral health field before I became a CrossFit coach full-time. I worked in a, uh, a substance abuse rehab center. It was a dual diagnosis program, so substance abuse, mental health. Um, and one day we're we were off uh, taking some of the members on a, on a hike and we were, we were talking about habit and how these people were expressing that even though they started the day and they said to themselves, like, I don't want to drink today or I don't want to smoke or I don't want to do this. When they, when they left work, it was almost like their car was on autopilot and it would pull into a liquor store and they'd go and they'd buy their 
their booze or whatever it was, and they go home and they go through their routine day after day, like Groundhog's Day, and they couldn't find a way to break that pattern. Uh, and this one person shared a really interesting story. He was an older gentleman who had been smoking for 30, 35 years, and he quit, and had quit for the last five years or so. And it was almost cold turkey. And we asked him how he did it, and he told us the story of for, for the last 30, 35 years, he would wake up, he'd go down, start his coffee pot, he'd walk outside, get his newspaper, come in, sit at his kitchen table, smoke his cigarette, drink his coffee, read his newspaper every day for 30 some odd years. And we decided to quit smoking. He had enough self-awareness to know, like, I can't do the same thing I've been doing for the last 30 years. I'm going to want that cigarette. So the smallest thing he changed, he still woke up, still made his pot of coffee, went out, grabbed his newspaper, and he grabbed his cup of coffee. Instead of sitting in that kitchen where he had the, the years of just smoking in there in his brain, he'd go sit in his living room. And that simple thing of just being in a different environment while doing some similar habits, he had no association of smoking his morning cigarette in that living room. Uh, so he was able to, to keep up with not, with not smoking for years on after that. So it's kind of a pretty cool example and something that's so addictive like smoking cigarettes and nicotine in general, uh, breaking that routine uh, and identifying the routine and then breaking it and, and putting in something positive instead can really be the, the changing force behind making a, a huge positive change in your life. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So, and it wasn't anything crazy like you hear uh, going on medications for quitting smoking or chewing yeah. gum or, or uh, getting hypnotized. It wasn't anything crazy or dramatic like that. It was simply just moving from one womb to another was a great way to break that routine and, and, and better himself. Very cool. Yeah. Um, it's funny that the next book I'm going to show one of the, one of the pieces in this book almost alludes directly to what you're talking about in terms of like setting reasonable expectations in terms of like, you know, breaking habits. And before I get even into the book, kind of the idea is that people don't set their aims low enough. And it sounds like super counterintuitive to what most professionals will tell you. Like you need to set, like set this grandiose goal, reach for the stars. Mm -hmm. But, um, we'll get into this in a second in the book, but that people don't think the small action is significant enough to create change. So they're not, they're overshooting. They're, they're thinking like, Oh, well the difference between me sitting at the, the dinner table and sitting at the living room table, isn't going to change the fact that I want to smoke a cigarette, but it really like those small, like reachable things that you can do are ultimately the best way to, you know, start moving the ball. Mm -hmm. um, it's funny that, you know, so many different minds in, in the field have, have thought of that, but still people have a hard time thinking in that way. Yeah. And it would, to, to interject a little bit, the first thing, and a lot of people are working through this right now who are going through my nutritional habit course for the first two weeks, the first thing I ask you guys to do and it's nothing even necessarily nutrition or exercise related is just make time. And I get, I want you guys to choose a, a five minute action every day. And I tell the, the clients something small, it, your five minute action can be, I'm going to take a multivitamin every morning. And it's something that you know, you're going to be able to do without a doubt, without failure every day for two weeks straight. So you can check off. I did that today. You get that little sense of a, a small win per se. And eventually we'll start asking more and more of you. I'm going to ask you to start looking at your protein and the amount of vegetables you're eating and your carbohydrates and fats. 
but we'll get to that in a little bit. And the, the, the first two weeks are funny because you get so many people who get so frustrated because they're like, I just want to do the nutrition stuff. Tell me all the signs. Tell me what to eat. But it's so important to be able to do this small thing. If you can't say like, just take your vitamin every day. And that's just one example. If we can't do that simple task, then asking you to weigh and measure with surgical precision your, your meals every single day of the week, then we know we're going to fail. So these, the first two weeks are really interesting in this program because to see who's going to be able to do a super small action and then build off of that to something much bigger in the end. Exactly. And that's a, analogous to the fitness realm is like progressive overload, right? Mm-hmm. There's a reason it's progressive. You don't come into the CrossFit gym for your first time ever and go six days a week where you're hitting a wad and a strength session every day. Yeah. Like you, maybe you start with two days a week, you're doing a Metcon, you're doing some barbell work, you're slowly working it in, getting your capacity, and then eventually adding a day and then eventually adding another session. And it's like everything has to start from somewhere. And you can't just say like, I'm going to jump in because, you know, I'm eager and I want to, I want the results now because that's not how really anything works. Mm. It, it's not sustainable. You might get some great, um, you know, short-term benefit, but it's not a sustainable approach. I mean, we've all heard that old adage, like got to learn to crawl before you can walk. And that's, it's really as simple as it is. And I think we, we overlook that so much, but that's kind of the basis of setting any goal or accomplishing any goal is, Let's look at the set the goal. Let's look at the grand scheme of things and let's break it down step by step. What, what can I do in the next three months to achieve that goal? What can I do in the next month? What can I do in the next week? What can I do today? What can I do this hour or this minute if I need to and really break it down there? I like it. All Definitely right. some, something to think about here yeah. uh, while we're at home too, because it's like the the cards are laid out right now. Like it's a good, it's a good time to rehash some habits mm-hmm. and maybe to break the loop on a couple of things that, you know, you haven't been able to because everybody's schedules are mixed and matched now. So, um, you know, f- find use this time as like re- rebuilding. Yeah. And use this time too to, to maybe readjust your goals if you have to. I mean, if before this, your goal was hitting a certain, say like a 400 pound deadlift, and, but now you're at home, you don't have access to a barbell every day. Maybe we need to readjust those goals a little bit or something to, like you talked about, you alluded to last week, maybe use these next few weeks or months to work on perfect form in your movement and moving every day and, and trying to work on body weight movements more than, more than that. And just take some time to readjust your goals. Um, don't just give up completely because we're out of the gym for a few weeks or months. Was it Teddy Roosevelt? He said, do what you can with what you have where you're at. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one to go by right now. It's all we can do right now. Yeah. All right, last book, most recent purchase. Um, And I just kind of finished it, so I haven't read through it a second time, but it's definitely a book that's going to need multiple reads because it's pretty dense. Um, And I've I've spoken about this author a couple times here on the podcast. So I have 12 Rules for Life by Dr. Jordan Peterson. An Antidote to Chaos. Um, Dr. Peterson is a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto and um, over the past couple of years has kind of blown up on uh, social media and on YouTube and he puts a lot of his content out for free. Like you can take his full courses um, basically online 
if you wanted to. And he also travels the world, not at the current moment, but um, <laughs> up until this point was traveling the world giving uh, lectures. And um, this book has been crazy successful since it came out. And it's basically, I guess, in the in the spirit of seven habits of highly effective people, these are Dr. Peterson's 12 hard and fast rules for a, um, not just a meaningful life, but an orderly life. And, um, I guess the big piece across all 12 of these rules is that personal responsibility is kind of the, the big, the big sell when it comes to like having a meaningful existence, taking responsibility for your own actions and, um, how they affect you, the person next to you, the community at large, your society globally, um, you know, taking the burden on yourself. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of ties back to, um, biblical text and stuff throughout this book. Not that it's a, um, a, a Christian text at all, but there's a lot of ties back to, um, you know, these biblical references of, you know, bearing your own cross in, in so many words, taking the responsibility on yourself, uh, to be ordered so that you can make it better for your partner and you can make it better for your team and ultimately better for the world. <clears throat> so I, again, won't go through all 12 of the rules that he goes over, but it's been a very eye-opening book for me just because of the depth that each of the rules has. Um, like there's this, you know, pretty extensive backstory in his personal life to each rule and why he chose that rule. And then it's cool to see it tie into those timeless texts. A lot of, um, you know, religious texts that are quoted in here and kind of distilled down into something that is a little more <clears throat> applicable to modern day. So again, that's going to need a second read, but it's been really eye-opening for me recently. 12 rules for life. Yeah, I've seen a lot of his stuff on YouTube before. I've never read any of his writings before. He seems like an interesting cat. There's there's a lot of depth. Um, there's a lot of depth. So if you like dense reads, uh, there's a lot in there. Is one of his rules making your bed? I know he's big on making your bed every day. That is, I think it's rule number two. Uh, set your house in order before you try to set it, uh, before you try to set the world in order. Yeah, that's rule number, rule number six. I remember him being on on Rogan one time and going off for like an hour on the importance of making your bed. <laughs> yeah, he he gets spun out a lot in in media of like you know what his political mm -hmm. affiliations are and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, if you just listen listen to his message, aside from the spin that's put on him. Um, a lot of it is like, you know, really insightful stuff that can, that can improve the quality of your life. Mm. Good stuff. All right. My final book, uh, not necessarily a, a self-help book, but it can be used. Uh, this is definitely a personal one for me. Uh, this is one that had a big impact on my life at a very vulnerable point of my life. This is uh, the Bhagavad Gita. It's a story of Indian spirituality and scripture. Um, this is a, a story that it's an epic story. It's part of the, the it's actually a smaller story out of the part, the bigger epic, the, the Mahabharata, which is 
some ancient Indian uh, scripture and, and text. Really, the story of this is, it's the story of a, a prince, Arjuna. Uh, it, it, the story starts with him going, he's looking over a battlefield, uh, and he has his, uh, his charioteer with him, Krishna. And he's about to go to war with um, another family, which actually is his cousin, and they're fighting over the throne that he feel, they both feel like they are entitled to. Uh, and, and the whole story is really an allegory. Uh, the war field is kind of based on is, is life in general. And, and the, the war he's about to fight is not a war against other people, uh, but it's kind of an allegory for the, the war that man fights with himself in his own mind on uh, who to be as a person, uh, the right thing to do in life, and how to find kind of your purpose in life as well. Um, this is a, a really, j- just a really great story that had a profound uh, impact on me. I know I've shared on this podcast in the past, but some of you might not know, uh, I'm a person who is in recovery from, from alcoholism. Um, and in early, in early sobriety, it's really important. There, there are many avenues to sobriety, but a lot of them, especially the most popular AA, uh, really push finding a higher power. I'm somebody who struggled with uh, spirituality and religion in the past. I don't necessarily consider myself uh, religious in the sense that I, I attach my beliefs to one belief system. Uh, I kind of take the route of reading many different types of scriptures in uh, Hinduism to be one of them, uh, Taoism, uh, Buddhism. I've read the Bible as well and kind of pick and pull things that I kind of attach my beliefs to. And none of them had more impact than this one, uh, especially with in regards to the kind of finding your path in life and um, what your belief systems are. Uh, this book is really a lot about karma in the true sense of karma. Uh, and I think in the Western world, we think of karma as like, you have a coworker you hate and that person got a speeding ticket and you're like, yeah, that's karma. They deserve that. <laughs> uh, karma in the true sense in, the, in, in Hinduism is getting back out of life what you put into it and into the universe. And if you put out good things, good vibes with, with true at your heart, good intentions, you're going to have good things happen back to you. Um, helping people, uh, not just for the sake of your own personal well-being, but truly because you care about other people and want to help them out as well. Uh, it goes into the idea of Dharma um, and different type of yogic, yogic ideals. Uh, a lot of yoga, we think of yoga as just the, the physical sense of movement, uh, but yoga has a lot of different senses to it, and a lot of it is defined in this book from a spirituality uh, perspective. Uh, and it's just a, a, I can't speak enough to this book for what it's done for me spiritually. He um, really defined kind of my spiritual beliefs. It talks a lot about what's big in Hinduism is uh, reincarnation and, and kind of finding your true self. And I don't know if I necessarily believe in reincarnation, but I think it's a fun idea to, uh, to entertain. And it's kind of something that I've propelled my life off of. And what it talks about is when you pass away, the, the body is just a, a vessel. Uh, it's not a permanent being, but your soul is a permanent being. And as long as you haven't found your true self or found enlightenment, your soul will keep passing along and along uh, over the course of time in, in different vessels and different meat vehicles, if you will, and uh, trying to find a, uh, your, your true enlightenment and your true purpose in life. And uh, so it kind of just speaks on being a good person, uh, put out good things into the world, hoping for them to come back to you 
And uh, it's just a really a great, great story. And I highly recommend it, especially this version of it. There's a million different versions out there. This is a very old piece of scripture. Uh, this author, I don't know if you can, it might be backwards there, Eknath Iswaran, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. He does a great job at the beginning of each chapter, uh, breaking down on a kind of in Western terms what this means and giving some definitions of different Hindu words and really for the Westerner explaining uh, the true meaning behind these. Because there's a lot of versions that are uh, got translated in a very odd way and might not have actually uh, carried the true meaning of the book. And I found this one is definitely uh, one of the better ones out there. So the Bhagavad Gita, great for spirituality and kind of finding your purpose in life. It's wild how like stories can do that, mm. right? It's almost like n- n- maybe nothing besides a story can pr- do that, produce yeah. such like a, you know, mind altering shift. Yeah. And it's crazy to me too. Like we talked about the, the old adages of like walking through your crawl, like things that have been around for so long. It's this book is, I don't even know when they believe it was written. Let me see if I can. Look it up real quick. I think even before. Uh, I can't see it. this. This book is thousands of years old, this, this story. So it's like people back then had so much wisdom and knowledge. And the, the, the answers are there that we're looking for a lot of times. Uh, we might just not be looking in the right place. Or even if we've heard it, we've uh, it might not be the answer we want at that time. So we kind of ignore it. Um, but it is it is amazing how a story can kind of cause that paradigm shift in your life and, and, and change things for the good. And this is definitely, out of all the books I've referenced today, this is one that I might not necessarily think about the story of Prince Arjuna every day, but the the lessons from the story I carry in my, in my day-to-day life on a, on a daily basis. Um, I have a piece of fiction that, was similar where I was young and kind of, I don't want to say lost, but I didn't have like a traditional um, religious upbringing or spiritual upbringing either. And it's funny, I kind of found part of that in a fiction book. And I'm not a big fiction reader either, but I've read it a couple times since. And um, the book is called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. And essentially, it's a story of um, following intuition. It, it's this boy's journey through the desert and finding himself. And a lot of the book is just about listening to your own heart. And, you know, that sounds like cliche, but it really is just about like trusting your gut and trusting yourself um, and following your own path. So it's like this call to individuality. Mm-hmm. And I think that had such a profound effect on me when I was young and reading that story. And um, you know, not having this like specific doctrine to live by um, that, you know, you can trust yourself, you can trust your heart and, and follow it. And that's kind of the fun of life. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would put that one on the list. I didn't bring it out today, but the alchemist by Paulo Coelho is another one of those books, similar to the experience you had with the Bhagavad Gita. Yeah, definitely. Uh, regardless of your religious affiliations if you can kind of put your any biases you may or may not have aside and read this story i I think it kind of it will kind of speak to any religion and probably carry some of the same values too but uh for me it had an amazing profound effect maybe because it was one of the first 
more spiritual scripts I did read at the time. I read this many years ago now, but um, yeah, it's just, just a fantastic story from talking about things about like the war within uh, fighting with your own personal demons to talks about death and kind of uh, accepting death and not being afraid of it. Um, one of the most popular quotes out of this book was actually used after um, used by Oppenheimer after they created the uh, atomic bomb, which is actually kind of a, a, a creepy, a creepy quote to use uh, when they tested the first atomic bomb and it went off and they saw the destruction it could, uh, it could cause uh, Oppenheimer in a silent room kind of said, uh, I have become death destroyer of worlds. And that's a direct quote from the Bhagavad Gita. So kind of a creepy quote to say after creating the atomic bomb, but uh, that's kind of a quote that talks about talks about death and accepting death. And again, going back to your body is just a temporary vessel and your soul, something that will live on forever. Um, and until you find your, your own version of self enlightenment. So we suggest that um, it doesn't have to be these books. These are ones we like, but um, again, in this time of, you know, being at home and isolation, great time to start reading. If you don't read, if you do read and you're looking for something, any of these books are a great option if they um, seem like something you might be interested in. Mm-hmm. And all of them are available on audiobooks as well. If you're more of a listener, if you've got, got time to kill in the car or something, um, you can find them on audiobooks as well. And I think the, I think the Bhagavad Gita has even been made into like short story films and, and, uh, and videos online too, if you want to watch it. But the true... I think getting getting the, the brunt of it would be reading it or listening to it. Yeah. I got into audiobooks for a while and I feel although they're easier to digest, I think you get I personally get more out of having a physical text. I feel like I can actually like get into it a little more and it, it's I'm way less likely to you know when you're listening to something and you think about something else and then yeah. you're like, Oh, I just missed like forty five seconds of the book. Uh-huh. It's like when I'm reading a physical book is in front of my face, it's a lot harder to do that. I definitely prefer written text as well. A lot of times with, if it's a fiction book, like I'm listening to Stephen King's The Outsider right now, an audio book, and I can kind of do stuff around the house and listen to that. If it's something that actually has like a lot of importance beyond just an entertainment, like something like this or a self-help book, I'll actually buy the audio and the, the written text and I'll listen to it and read along and kind of highlight things. And I feel like both the visual and audio aspect makes me retain it for me personally a lot better. Oh yeah. I never tried that. That sounds, sounds cray cray. (laughs) I'm going to have to give it a go though. There you go. Oh man. Well, appreciate you um, sharing some stuff with us and yeah, you too. um, Check out uh, uh, meditations next. Yeah. Yeah. You can borrow it if you'd like. Definitely. Cool. So keep up the good work. Uh, Primal athletics peeps killing it on that the at-home wads and you know getting into zoom class and all that good stuff so just keep pushing forward stay healthy keep moving yep see you guys next time see ya